Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the world of Percy Jackson. In this episode, we'll read chapters 19 and 20. In the previous episode, we read chapters 17 and 18 and Percy and the camp got attacked by Luke's army, Kronos' army, because Luke is actually possessed by Kronos. But luckily, Percy and the camp were able to fight off Kronos and his army, and luckily they retreated and won't be coming back for some time. And Daedalus and Mrs. O'Leary actually came to help them, and luckily that helped them, you know, win the battle. But sadly, Daedalus decided that he needed to leave or else the labyrinth will still keep working. So Daedalus did it for the benefit of everyone, and we appreciate Daedalus for that. And Percy had taken up the responsibility of taking care of Mrs. O'Leary. So now we'll read chapter 19, where Grover gets decided whether he needs to get become banned and exiled because of his claim that Pan is dead. So we need to see what happens to Grover in chapter 19. The council gets cloven. There were too many goodbyes. That night was the first time I actually saw camp burial shrouds used on bodies. And it was not something I wanted to see again. Among the dead, Lee Fletcher from the club, from the Lee Fletcher from the Apollo cabin had been downed by a giant's club. He was wrapped in a golden shroud without any decoration. The son of Dionysus, who'd, got down, who'd gone down fighting an enemy half-blood, was wrapped in a deep purple shroud embroidered with grapevines. His name was Castor. I was ashamed that I'd seen him around camp for three years and never even bothered to learn his name. He'd been 17 years old. His twin brother, Pollux, tried to say a few words, but he choked up and just took the torch. He lit the funeral pyre in the middle of the amphitheater, and within seconds, the row of shrouds was engulfed in fire, sending smokes and sparks up to the stars. We spent the next day treating the wounded, which was almost everybody. The satyrs and dryads worked to repair the damage to the woods. At noon, the Council of Cloven Elders held an emergency meeting in their sacred grove. The three senior satyrs were there, along with Chiron, who was in wheelchair form. His broken horse leg was still mending, so he would be confined to the chair for a few months until the leg was strong enough to take his weight. The grove was filled with satyrs and dryads and naiads up from the water, hundreds of them anxious to hear what would happen. Juniper, Annabeth, and I stood by Grover's side. Silenus wanted to exile Grover immediately, but Chiron persuaded him to at least hear evidence first. So we told everyone what had happened in the Crystal Cavern, and what had Pan said. Then several eyewitnesses from the battle described the weird sound Grover had made, which drove the Titan's army back underground. It was panic, insisted Gr Juniper. Grover summoned the power of the Wild God. Panic? I asked. Percy, Chiron explained. During the first war of the gods and the titans, Lord Pan had let forth a horrible cry that scared away the enemy armies. It is, it was, his greatest power, a massive wave of fear that helped the gods win the day. The word panic is named after Pan, you see, and Grover used that power, calling it forth from himself. Preposterous! Silenus bellowed. Sacrilege! Perhaps the wild god favored us with a blessing, or perhaps Grover's music was so awful it scared the enemy away. That wasn't it, sir, Grover said. 
He sounded a lot calmer than I would have if I'd been insulted like that. He let his spirit pass into all of us. We must act. Each of us must work to renew the wild, to protect what's left of it. We must spread the word. Pan is dead. There was no one but us. After 2,000 years of searching, this is what you have us believe? Silas cried. Never. We must continue the search. Exile the traitor. Some of the older satyrs muttered assent. A vote, Silas demanded. Who would believe this ridiculous young satyr every anyway? I would, said a familiar voice. Everyone turned. Striding into the grove was Dionysus. He wore a formal black suit, so I, al- so I almost didn't recognize him. A deep purple tie and violet dress shirt. His curly dark hair carefully combed. His eyes were bloodshot as usual. And his pudgy face was flushed. But he looked like he was suffering more from grief more than wine withdrawal. The satyrs all stood respectfully and bowed as he approached. Dionysus waved his hand and a new chair grew out of the ground next to Silenus's, a throne made of grapevines. Dionysus sat down and crossed his legs. He snapped his fingers and the satyr hurried forward with a plate of cheese and crackers and a Diet Coke. The god of wine looked around at the assembled crowd. Miss me? The satyrs fell over themselves, nodding and bowing. Oh yes, very much, sire. Well, I did not miss this place, Dionysus snapped. I bear bad news, my friends, evil news. The minor gods are changing sides. Morpheus has gone over to the enemy. Hecate, Janus, and Nemesis as well. Zeus knows how many more. Thunder rumbled in the distance. Strike that, Dionysus said. Even Zeus doesn't know. Now I want to hear Grover's story, again, from the top. But my lord, Silenus protested, it's just nonsense. Dionysus' eyes flared with purple fire. I've just learned that my son Castor is dead, Silenus. I'm not in a good mood. You would do well to humor me. Silenus gulped and waved at Grover to start again. When Grover was done, Mr. D nodded. Sounds like just the sort of thing Pan would do. Grover is right. The search is tiresome. You must start thinking for yourselves. He turned toward Satyr. Bring me some peeled grapes right away. Yes, sire. The satyr scampered off. We must exile the traitor, Silas insisted. I say no, Dionysus countered. This, that is my vote. I vote no as well, Chiron put in. Silas set his jaw stubbornly. All in favor of the exile. He and the two other old satyrs raised their hands. Three to two, Silenus said. Ah, yes, Dionysus said. But unfortunately for you, a god's vote counts twice. And as I voted against, we are tied. Silenus stood indignant. This is an outrage. The council cannot stand at an impasse. Then let it be dissolved, Mr. D said. I don't care. Silenus bowed stiffly, along with his two friends, and they left the grove. About twenty satyrs went with them. The rest stood around murmuring uncomfortably. Don't worry, Grover told them. We don't need a council to tell us what to do. We can figure it out ourselves. He told them again the words of Pan, how they must save the wild a little at a time. He started dividing the satyrs into groups. Which ones would go to the national parks? Which ones would search out the last wild places? Which ones would defend the parks in the big cities? Well, Annabeth said to me, Grover seems to be growing up. Later that afternoon, I found Tyson at the beach, talking to Briars. 
Briars was building a sandcastle with about 50 of his hands. He wasn't really paying attention to it, but his hands had constructed a three-story compound with fortified walls, a moat, and a drawbridge. Tyson was drawing a map in the sand. Go left at the reef, he told Briars. Straight down when you see the sunken ship, then about one mile east, past the mermaid graveyard, you'll start to see fires burning. You're giving him directions to the forges? I asked. Tyson nodded. Briars wants to help. He will teach Cyclops ways we have forgotten. How to make better weapons and armor. I want to see Cyclops, Briars agreed. I don't want to be lonely anymore. I doubt you'll be lonely there, down there, I said, a little wistfully because I'd never even been in Poseidon's kingdom. They're going to keep you really busy. Briars face morphed to a happy expression. Busy sounds good. I only wish Tyson could go too. Tyson blushed. I need to stay here with my brother. You will do fine, Briars. Thank you. The hundred-handed one shook my hand about a hundred times. We will meet again, Percy. I know it. Then he gave Tyson a big octopus hug and waded out into the ocean. We watched until his enormous head disappeared under the waves. I clapped Tyson on the back. You helped him a lot. I only talked to him. You believed in him. Without Briars, we never would have taken down Compe. Tyson grinned. He throws good rocks. I laughed. Yeah, he throws really good rocks. Come on, big guy. Let's have dinner. It felt good to have a regular dinner at camp. Tyson sat with me at the Poseidon table. The sunset over Long Island Sound was beautiful. Things weren't back to normal by a long shot, but when I went up to the brazier and scraped part of my meal into the flames as an offering to Poseidon, I felt like I really did have a lot to be grateful for. My friends and I were alive. The camp was safe. Kronos had suffered a setback, at least for a while. The only thing that bothered me was Nico. Hanging out in the shadows at the edge of the pavilion, he'd been offered a place at the Hermes table, and even at the head table with Chiron, but he had refused. After dinner, the campers headed to, uh, toward the amphitheater, where Apollo's cabin promised an awesome sing-along to pick up our spirits. When Nico turned and disappeared into the woods, I decided I'd better follow him. As I passed under the shadows of the trees, I realized how dark it was getting. I'd never been scared in the forest before, though I knew there were plenty of monsters. Still, I thought about yesterday's battle, and I wondered if I'd ever be able to walk in these woods again without remembering the horror of so much fighting. I couldn't see Nico, but after a few minutes of walking, I saw a glow up ahead. At first, I thought Nico had, a li had lit a torch. As I got closer, I realized the glow was a ghost. The shimmering form of Bianca D'Angelo stood in the clearing, smiling at her brother. She said something to him and touched his face, or tried to. Then her image faded. Nico turned and saw me, but he didn't look mad. Saying goodbye, he said hoarsely. We missed you at dinner, I said. You could have sat with me. No. Nico, you can't miss every meal. If you don't want to stay with Hermes, maybe they can make an exception and put you in the big house. They've got plenty of rooms. I'm not staying, Percy. But... You can't just leave. It's too dangerous out there for a lone half-blood. You need to train. I train with the dead, he said flatly. This camp isn't for me. There's a reason they didn't put a cabin to Hades here. Percy, he's not welcome. Any more than he is on Olympus. I don't belong. I have to go. I wanted to argue, but part of me knew he was right. I didn't like it, but Nico would have, uh, would have had to find his own dark way. I remembered in Pan's cave how the wild god had addressed each one of us individually, except Nico.
When will you go? I asked. Right away. I've got tons of questions, like, who's my mother? Who paid for Bianca and me to go to school? Who was the lawyer guy who got us out of the Lotus Hotel? I know nothing about my past. I need to find out. Makes sense, I admitted. But I hope we don't have to be enemies. He lowered his gaze. I'm sorry I was a brat. I should have listened to you about Bianca. By the way, I threw something out of my pocket. Tyson found this while we were cleaning the cabin. Thought you might want it. I held out a lead figurine of Hades, the little mythomagic statue Nico had abandoned when he fled camp last winter. Nico hesitated. I don't play that game anymore. It's for kids. It's got 4,000 attack power, I coaxed. 5,000, Nico corrected. But only if your opponent attacks first. I smiled. Maybe it's okay to still be a kid once in a while. I tossed him the statuette. Nico studied it in his palm for a few seconds, then slipped into his pocket. Thanks. I put out my hand. He shook reluctantly. His hand was as cold as ice. I've got a lot of things to investigate, he said. Some of them, well, if I learn anything useful, I'll let you know. I wasn't sure what he meant, but I nodded. Keep in touch, Nico. He turned and trudged off into the woods. The shadows seemed to, be, seemed to bend toward him as he walked, like they were reaching out for his attention. A voice right behind me said, There goes a very troubled young man. I turned and found Dionysus standing there, still in his black suit. Walk with me, he said. Where to? I asked suspiciously. Just to the campfire, he said. I was beginning to feel better, so I thought I would talk with you a bit. You always manage to annoy me. Uh, thanks. We walked through the woods in silence. I noticed that Dionysus was treading on air, his polished black shoes hovering an inch off the ground. I guess he didn't want them to get dirty. We have had many betrayals, he said. Things are not good at looking good for Olympus. Yet you and Annabeth saved this camp. I'm not sure I should thank you for that. It was a group effort. He shrugged. Regardless, I suppose it was mildly competent. What you do did. I thought you should know. It wasn't a total loss. We reached the amphitheater, and Dionysus pointed toward the campfire. Clarice was sitting shoulder to shoulder with a big Hispanic kid who was telling her a joke. It was Chris Rodriguez, the half-blood who had gone insane in the labyrinth. I turned to Dionysus. You cured him? Madness is my specialty. It was quite simple. But you did something nice. Why? He raised an eyebrow. I am nice. I simply ooze niceness. Perry Johansson, haven't you noticed? Uh, perhaps I felt grieved by my son's death. Perhaps I thought this cursed boy deserved a second chance. At any rate, it seems to have improved Clarice's mood. Why are you telling me this? The wine god sighed. Oh, Hades, if I know. But remember, boy, that a kind act can sometimes be as powerful as a sword. As a mortal, I was never a great fighter or athlete or poet. I only made wine. The people in my village laughed at me. They said I would never amount to anything. Look at me now. Sometimes small things can become very large indeed. He left me alone to think about that, and as I watched Clarice and Chris singing a stupid campfire song together, holding hands in the darkness, where they thought nobody could see them, I had to smile. And that is the end of chapter 19. That was a pretty cool ending, considering that Dionysus actually did something nice for one, for, for actual one time. So that was pretty nice to know that Dionysus did that kind act. And yeah, we'll see what happens to Percy and the camp. 
when we read chapter 20 right after this break. So we'll be right back when we read chapter 20. My birthday party takes a dark turn. And we are back from the ads, and now we'll read chapter 20. My birthday party takes a dark turn. The rest of the summer seemed strange because it was so normal. The daily activities continued. Archery, rock climbing, pegasus riding. We played capture the flag, though we all avoided Zeus's fist. We sang at the campfire and raced chariots and, and played practical jokes on the other cabins. I spent a lot of time with Tyson, playing with Mrs. O'Leary, but she would still howl at night when she got lonely for her old master. Annabeth and I pretty much skirted around each other, and I was glad to be with her, but it also kind of hurt, and it hurt when I wasn't with her too. I wanted to talk to her about Kronos, but I couldn't do that anymore without bringing up Luke, and that was one subject I couldn't raise. She would shut me out every time I tried. July passed with fireworks on the beach on the 4th. August turned so hot the strawberries started baking in the fields. Finally, the last day of camp arrived. The standard form letter appeared on my bed after breakfast, warning me that the cleaning harpies would devour me if I stayed past noon. At 10 o'clock, I stood on the top of Half-Blood Hill, waiting for the camp van that would take me into the city. I made arrangements to leave Mrs. O'Leary at camp, where Chiron promised she'd be looked after. Tyson and I would take turns visiting her during the year. I hoped Annabeth would be riding into Manhattan with me, but she only came to see me off. She said she'd arranged to stay at camp a little longer. She would tend to Chiron until his leg was fully recovered and keep studying Daedalus' laptop, which had engrossed her for the last two months. Then she would head back to her father's place in San Francisco. There's a private school out there that I'll be going to, she said. I'll probably hate it, but... She shrugged. Yeah, well, call me, okay? Sure, she said half-heartedly. I'll keep my eyes open for... There it was again, Luke... She couldn't even say his name without opening up a huge box of hurt and worry and anger. Annabeth, I said, what was the rest of the prophecy? She fixed her eyes on the woods in the distance, but she didn't say anything. You shall delve into the darkness of the endless maze, I remembered. The dead, the traitor, and the lost one raised. We raised a lot of the dead. We saved Ethan Nakamura, who turned out to be the traitor. We raised the spirit of Pan, the lost one. Ambit shook her head like she wanted me to stop. You shall rise or fall by the ghost king's hand. I pressed on. That was a Minos, like I thought. It was Nico. By choosing to be on our side, he saved us. And the child of Athena's fi final stand. That was Daedalus. Percy. Destroy with the hero's final breath. That makes sense now. Daedalus tried to destroy a labyrinth, but what was the last? And lose a love to worse than death. Ambit had tears in her eyes. That was the last line, Percy. Are you happy now? The sun seemed colder than it had a moment ago. Oh, I said. So, Luke. Percy! I didn't know who the prophecy was talking about. I, I didn't even know if... She faltered helplessly. Luke and I... For years, he was the only one who cared about me. I thought... Before she could continue, a sparkle of light appeared next to us, like someone had opened a gold curtain in the air. You have nothing for it to apologize for, my dear. Standing on the hill was a tall woman in a white dress, her dark hair braided over her shoulder. Hera, Ambit said. The goddess smiled. 
You found the answers, as I knew you would. Your quest was a success. A success? Ambit said, Luke is gone, Daedalus is dead, Pan is dead. How is that? Our family is safe, Hera insisted. Those others are better gone, my dear. I am proud of you. I balled my fists. I couldn't believe she was saying this. You're the one who paid Garion to let us through the ranch, weren't you? Hera shrugged. Her dress shimmered in rainbow colors. I wanted to speed you on your way. But you didn't care about Nico. You were happy to see him turned over to the Titans. Oh, please. Hera waved her hand dismissively. The son of Hades said it himself. No one wants him around. He does not belong. Hephaestus was right, I growled. You only care about your perfect family, not real people. Her eyes turned dangerously bright. Watch yourself, son of Poseidon. I guided you more than you know in the maze. I was at your side when you faced Garion. I let your arrow fly straight. I sent you to Calypso's island. I opened the way to the Titan's mountain. Annabeth, my dear, surely you see how I've helped. I would welcome a sacrifice for my efforts. Ambit stood still as a statue. She could have said thank you. She, sh she could have promised to throw some barbecue on the brazier for Hera and forget the whole thing. But she clenched her jaw stubbornly. She looked just the way she had when she'd faced the Sphinx, like she wasn't going to accept an easy answer, even if it got her in serious trouble. I realized that was one of the things I liked best about Annabeth. Percy is right. She turned her back on the goddess. You're the one who doesn't belong, Queen Hera. So next time, thanks, but no thanks. Hera's sneer was worse than the Impusas. Her form began to glow, grow, glow. You will regret this insult, Annabeth. You will reg regret this very much. I averted my eyes as the goddess turned into her true divine form and disappeared in, in a blaze of light. The hilltop was peaceful again. Over at the pine tree, Peleus the dragon dozed under the golden fleece as if nothing had happened. I'm sorry, Annabeth said, told me. I, I should get back. I'll keep in touch. Listen, Annabeth. I thought about Mount St. Helens, Calypso's Island, Luke and Rachel Elizabeth Dare and how suddenly everything had gotten so complicated. I wanted to tell Annabeth that I didn't really want to be so distant from her. Then Argus honked his horn down at the road and I lost my chance. You better get going, Annabeth said. Take care, seaweed brain. She jogged down, she jogged down the hill. I watched her un until she reached the cabins. She didn't look back once. Two days later was my birthday. I never advertised the date because it always fell right after camp, so none of my camp friends could usually come. And I didn't have that many mortal friends. Besides, getting older didn't seem like anything to celebrate since I had gotten the big prophecy about me destroying or saving the world when I turned 16. Now I was turning 15. I was running out of time. My mom threw me a small party at her apartment. Paul Blofus came over, but that was okay because Chiron had manip manipulated the mist con to convince everyone at Good High School that I had nothing to do with the band room explosion. Now, Paul and the other witnesses were convinced that Ke Kelly had been a crazy firebomb-throwing cheerleader, while I'd been simply been an innocent bystander who panicked and ran from the scene. I would still be allowed to start as a freshman at Good next, next month. If I wanted to keep my record of getting kicked out of school every year, I'd have to try harder. Tyson came to my party too, and my mother baked two extra blue cakes just for him. While Tyson helped my mom blow up party balloons, Paul Blofus asked me, asked me to help him in the kitchen. As we were pouring punch, he said, I hear your mom signed you up for the driver's ed this fall. 
Yeah, it's cool. I can't wait. Seriously, I've been excited about getting my license forever. But I guess my heart wasn't in it anymore. And Paul could tell. In a weird way, he reminded me of Chiron sometimes. How he could look at you and actually see your thoughts. I guess it was that teacher aura. You've had a rough summer, he said. I'm guessing you lost someone important. And girl trouble? I stared at him. How do you know that? Did my mom... He held up his hands. Your mom hasn't said a thing, and I won't pry. I just know there's something unusual about you, Percy. You've all, you've got a lot going on that I can't figure. But I was also 15 once, and I'm just guessing from your expression. Well, you've had a rough time. I nodded. I promised my mom I wouldn't tell. I wouldn't tell. I would tell Paul the truth about me. But now didn't seem the time. Not yet. I lost a couple of friends at this camp I go to, I said. I mean, not close friends, but still. I'm sorry. Yeah, and I guess the girl stuff. Here, Paul handed me some punch. To your 15th birthday, and to a better year to come. We tapped our paper cups together and drank. Percy, I kind of feel bad giving you one more thing to think about, Paul said. But I wanted to ask you something. Yeah? Girl stuff. I frowned. What do you mean? Your mom, Paul said. I'm thinking about proposing to her. I almost dropped my cup. You mean marrying her? You and her? Well, that was the general idea. Would that be okay with you? You're asking my permission? Paul scratched his beard. I don't know if it's permission so much, but she's your mother. And I know you're going through a lot. I wouldn't feel right if I didn't talk to you about it first. Man to man? Man to man, I repeated. Sounded strange saying that. I thought about Paul and my mom, how she smiled and laughed more whenever he was around. Now Paul had gone out of his way to get me into high school. I found myself saying, I think that's a great idea, Paul. Go for it. He smiled really wide then. Cheers, Percy. Let's join the party. I was just getting ready to blow out the candles when the doorbell rang. My mom frowned. Who could that be? It was weird because our new building had a doorman, but he hadn't called up or anything. My mom opened the door and gasped. It was my dad. He was wearing Bermuda shorts and a Hawaiian shirt and Birkenstocks, like he usually does. His black beard was neatly trimmed and his sea green eyes twinkled. He wore a battered cap decorated with fishing lures. It said Neptune's lucky fishing hat. Puss. My mom stopped herself. She was blushing right to the roots of her hair. Um, hello. Hello, Sally, Poseidon said. You look as beautiful as ever. May I come in? My mother made a squeaking sound that might have been yes or help. Poseidon took it as a yes and came in. Paul was looking back and forth between us, trying to read our expressions. Finally, he stepped forward. Hi, I'm Paul Blofus. Poseidon raised his hand, eyebrows and as he shook his as they shook hands. Blowfish, did you say? Uh, no, Blofus, actually. Oh, I see, Poseidon said. A shame. I quite like Blowfish. I'm Poseidon. Poseidon? That's an interesting name. Yes, I like it. I've gone by other names, but I do prefer Poseidon. Like the god of the sea. Very much like that, yes. Well, my mom interrupted. Um, we're so glad you could drop by. Paul, this is Percy's father. Ah, Paul nodded, though he didn't look real pleased. I see. Poseidon smiled at me. There you are, my boy! And Tyson, hello, son! Daddy! 
Tyson bounded across the room and gave Poseidon a big hug, which almost knocked off his fishing hat. Paul's jaw dropped. He stared at my mom. Tyson is not mine, she promised. It's a long story. I couldn't miss Percy's 15th birthday, Poseidon said. Why, if this were Sparta, Percy would be a man today. That's true, Paul said. I used to teach ancient history. Poseidon's eyes twinkled. That's me, ancient history. Sally, Paul, Tyson, would you mind if I borrowed Percy for just a moment? He put his arm around me and steered me into the kitchen. Once we were alone, his smile faded. Are you all right, my boy? Yeah, I'm fine, I guess. I heard stories, Poseidon said, but I wanted to hear directly from you. Tell me everything. So I did. It was kind of disconcerting because Poseidon listened so intently. His eyes never left my face. His expression didn't change the whole time I talked. When I was done, he nodded slowly. So Kronos is indeed back. It will not be long before full war is upon us. What about Luke? I asked. Is he really gone? I don't know, Percy. It is most disturbing. But his body is more immortal. Couldn't you just destroy him? Poseidon looked troubled. Mortal, perhaps. But there's something different about Luke, my boy. I don't know how he was prepared to host the Titan's soul, but he will not be easily killed. And yet I fear he must be killed if we are to send Kronos back to the pit. I'll have to think of this. Unfortunately, I have other problems of my own. I remember what Tyson had told me at the beginning of the summer. The old sea gods? Indeed, the battle came first to me, Percy. In fact, I cannot stay long. Even now, the ocean is at war with itself. It is all I can do to keep hurricanes and typhoons from destroying your surface world. The fighting is so intense. Let me come down there. I said, let me help. Poseidon's eyes crinkled as he he smiled. Not yet, my boy. I sense you will be needed here, which reminds me. He brought out a sand dollar and pressed into my hand. Your birthday present. Spend it wisely. Uh, spend a sand dollar? Oh, yes. In my day, you could buy quite a lot with a sand sand dollar. I think you will find it still buys a lot, if used in the right situation. What situation? When the time comes, Poseidon said, I think you'll know. I closed my hand around the sand dollar, but something was really bothering me. Dad, I said, when I was in the maze, I met Antaeus. He said, well... He said he was your favorite son. He decorated his arena with skulls and he dedicated them to me, Poseidon supplied. And you're wondering how someone could do something so horrible in my name. I nodded uncomfortably. Poseidon put his weathered hand on my shoulder. Percy, lesser things do many horrible things in the name of gods. That does not mean we gods approve. The way our sons and doctors and daughters act in our names, well, it usually says more about them than it does about us. And you, Percy are my favorite son. He smiled, and at the moment, just being in the kitchen for, with him was the best birthday present I ever got. Then my mom called me from the living room. Percy, the candles are mel- melting! You'd better go, Poseidon said. But Percy, one last thing you should know. That incident at Mount St. Helens? For a second, I thought he was talking about Annabeth kissing me, and I blushed. But then I realized he was talking about something a lot bigger. The eruptions are continuing, he said. Typhon is stirring. It is very likely that soon in a few months, perhaps a year at best, he will escape his bonds. I'm sorry, I said. I didn't mean... Poseidon raised his hand. 
It is not your fault, Percy. It would have had happened sooner or later with Kronos awakening the ancient monsters. But beware. If Tyson Typhon stirs, it will be unlike anything you have faced before. The first time he appeared, all the forces of Olympus were barely enough to battle him. And when he stirs again, he will come here to New York. He will make straight for Olympus. That was just the kind of new, wonderful news I wanted to get on my birthday. But Poseidon patted me on the back like everything was fine. I should go. Enjoy your cake. And just like that, he turned to mist and was swept out of the window on a warm ocean breeze. It took a little work to convince Paul that Poseidon had left via the fire escape. But since people can't vanish into thin air, he had no choice but to believe it. We ate blue cake and ice cream until we couldn't anymore. Then we played a bunch of cheesy party games like charades and Monopoly. Tyson didn't get charades. He kept shouting out the answer he was trying to mime. But it turned out he was really good at Monopoly. He knocked me out of the game in the first five rounds and started bankrupting my mom and Paul. I left them playing and went into my bedroom. I set an uneaten slice of blue cake on my dresser. Then I took off my camp half-blood necklace and laid it on the windowsill. There were three beads now, representing my three summers at camp. A trident, the golden fleece, and the latest, an intricate maze, symbolizing the Battle of the Labyrinth, as the campers had started to call it. I wondered what next year's bead would be. If I was still around to get it, if the camp survived until next summer, I looked at the telephone by my bedside. I thought about calling Rachel Elizabeth Dare. My mom had asked me if there was anyone else I wanted to have over tonight, and I thought about Rachel, but I didn't call. I don't know why. The idea made me almost as nervous as a door into the labyrinth. I patted my pockets and emptied out my stuff. Riptide, a Kleenex, my apartment key. Then I patted my shirt pocket and felt a small lump. I hadn't even realized it, but I was wearing the white cotton shirt Calypso had given me on Ojigia. I brought out a little piece of cloth, unwrapped it, and found the clipping of moonlace. It was a tiny sprig, shriveled up after two months, but I could still smell the faint scent of the enchanted garden. It made me sad. I remember Calypso's last request to me. Plant a garden in Manhattan for me, will you? I opened the window and stepped onto the fire escape. My mom kept a planter box out there. In the spring, she usually filled it with flowers, but now it was all dirt, waiting for something new. It was a clear night. The moon was full over 82nd Street. I planted the dried sprig of moon lace carefully into the dirt and sprinkled a little nectar on it from my camp canteen. Nothing happened at first. Then as I watched, a tiny silver plant sprang out of the soil. A baby moon lace glowing in the warm summer night. Nice plant, a voice said. I jumped. Nico D'Angelo was standing on the fire escape right next to me. He just appeared there. Sorry, he said. Didn't mean to startle you. That, that's okay. I mean, what are you doing here? He'd grown about an inch taller over the last couple of months. His hair was a shaggy black mess. He wore a black t-shirt, black jeans, and a new silver ring shaped like a skull. His Stygian iron sword hung at his side. I've done some exploring, he said. Thought you'd like to know. Daedalus got his punishment. You saw him? Nico nodded. Minos wanted to boil him in cheese fondue for eternity, but my father had other ideas. Daedalus will be building overpasses and exit ramps in Asphodel for all time. It will help ease the traffic congestion. Truthfully, I think the old guy is pretty happy with that. He's still building, still creating, and he gets to see his son in Perdix on the weekends. That's good. Nico tapped at his silver ring. 
but that's not the real reason I've come. I found out some things. I want to make you an offer. What? The way to the way to beat Luke, he said. If I'm right, it's the only way you stand a chance. I took a deep breath. Okay, I'm listening. Nico glanced inside my room. His eyebrows furrowed. Is that? Is that blue birthday cake? He sounded hungry. Maybe a little wistful. I wondered if the poor kid had ever had a birthday party. Or if he'd ever been invited to one. Come inside for cake and ice cream. I said, sounds like we've got a lot to talk about. And that is the end of chapter 20 and the end of the Battle of the Labyrinth. Wow, that was an amazing, amazing book. And I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. And next week, we'll start reading the next book, book five, The Last Olympian. So stay tuned for next week when I start the new book. And we'll see what Nico's, what Nico's suggestion of the only way to beat Luke slash Kronos is. So until then, stay safe and stay out of boredom.